We are gathered around the campfire. The hay is high. The moon is full. We are all wrapped in blankets, and this is the question we are exploring. Nature, nurture, or a nightmare? My name is Neville D'Angelo. You are on the journey. Along the journey, we stop at intriguing places and meet fascinating people with novel solutions to some of life's tricky little problems. We play a few games, too, and attract the remarkable characters of three classic books. Soundbite Life, Flight of the Fused Monkeys, and Illicet, A Time to Begin Again. All of which you can get in your favorite format from Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Alive, it's alive, it's alive! Is there a story or an event or something you saw or heard or touched or felt from way back in your life, perhaps as far back as your childhood, that has stayed powerfully with you? Something that is shaping who you are or what you think or how you behave? or why you do what you do. When I was a child, uh, of course, I probably heard a lot of stories, but I don't remember, because I'm old now, but I do remember a friend's uh, collection of Russian uh, children books, fairy tales, and and the art in them. Uh, I thought, as a young kid, I'd never seen anything like it, and I thought the art was just fantastic. And I still have an image of a a horse, and I can't remember if it was a male or a female rider, but uh, it's lasted all these years, and of course may have contributed to my becoming an artist. I was born and raised in in Las Palmas, and, and my dad, he was a professional basketball coach. And um, he signed a contract to, to be a coach for, for Barcelona, so I went there and the, and the family moved there. And I had a, I had a brother many, many years ago, and you know we spent like a, a lot of time together. Like we were like very close, very, very close. And I was like six or six or I don't remember really well, I think five, six or seven, and my brother was 13. So, so I, I remember one day they, they called, we were living in this like beautiful house in Barcelona, and one day they called the house and, and, and they asked for my dad, and I was like, yeah, hello, and like, yeah, can I talk to Joaquin Costa, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. So they, you know, so I, I gave the phone to my dad, and, and, you know, the reaction was when he got the phone, he dropped it to the, to the ground. And he started crying. That was the first time I saw my dad crying. I was and I asked to my mom, like, you know, like, what happened? Why is dad crying? By then, my parents, they still were together. And, and I was like, I don't know. So I started talking to them. And they called, and they said that, that my brother, that he died in an accident in, 
in, in Palma de Mallorca, which is right next to us, the Balearic Islands. So we went there and I was like, fuck, and I, I, like, I, I didn't understand what happened, you know? Like, by then I was like, I was like, you know, what's going on? Like, they're telling me that Kim, that was my brother, that Kim died, and, and I, I, I was like, I was little, I was like five or six, I don't remember, but something like I didn't understand. So my dad, he went to the airport running, and I remember my mom drove to the airport, so he got the first flight to go to, the, to Palma de Mallorca. It's actually where Nadal is from, in that island. Mm-hmm. He was there like, of a, she was 13 or 14. So we went there, and then, you know, I, like two or three days later, I, have, I, remember, I remember I had to stay at one of my dad's uh, uh, basketball players' house for like three nights. And when my mom and my daddy came back, and my mom was like explaining, you know, like Kim had, had an accident, and, and he will be in the, you know, he's watching us and he will be with us and everything. And I was like, I didn't, I didn't like accept, like my brain didn't accept it that, that my, that my brother had that, you know, so I didn't understand very well what was going on. Mm-hmm. And the story, it's, it's sad because right now I would, I would love to have my, the bigger brother, you know, mm-hmm. I would, I, I would love to have him and, yeah, and it's sad and it's, but when I think it's like, you know, like I will have, like the, the conclusions that I would have, I would like to have, the big brother, you know. Mm. What overwhelmed me in my um, childhood or in the past is um, that when my brother went for a trip to Brazil for like one month, just after he finished uh, high school and was organizing what he's going to do in the future. So he went with his friends to some people they, they got to know chat or something like that, and um, yeah, he spent four weeks there just enjoying life and uh, trying out things, just seeing what, how the world is and everything, and then the day when he came back, he knew that there's something that he kind of wants to tell you, <laughs> but he, he hadn't, like, he didn't make it to tell you, right. so then one, like, couple days after he came back, he, he was like, hey, Misha, I want to show you <laughs> and tell me what, what you think about it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he, he took off his shirt and showed me that huge tattoo over his back. Really? Like, he, he got a tattoo of Jesus on the cross over his whole back.
from what was once an inarticulate mass of lifeless tissues, may I now present a cultured, sophisticated man about town. You're blue and you don't know where to go to. Why don't you go where fashion sits? <coughs> Different types who wear a day coat, pants with stripes, or cutaway coat, perfect fits. <coughs> Dressed up like a million dollar trooper. Trying mighty hard to look like Gary Cooper. We are our stories. We are the stories we tell ourselves. We are the stories we believe. We are the stories we sing and speak. We are the stories we enjoy. Yes, we are our stories. We are the stories we run from, attempting to escape our own story. We are the stories we run to, seeking the meaning of our unfolding story. Seeking to discover how to be better in the next chapter of the current story. Seeking to learn how best to shape that part of the story that wants to be heard above the rest. When we're not running, when we are not seeking, when we are not telling our story, we are hiding, whittled and woven into the stories of others so brilliant, we blend in unnoticed, artfully blotted out. For what we are, they are stories. And yet each of us is but one letter in the story of the universe, a necessary letter. We are as integral a part of each other's story as the universe is of each of us. Your story does not exist outside of mine. It simply cannot. My story is not denied by the existence of yours. It simply will not be denied. Your story and mine are irreversibly intertwined. Your nightmare is part and parcel of my nature. We nurture both together. My story is incontrovertibly yours, even in denial, and yours with all of its joys, with all of its farce, flaws, falsities, and failures, very much mine, nurtured like parents of the same child. 
or monkey. Who then is the architect of your story, designing each and every plot twist, that story you and I are destined to tell? Who's the architect of that story when I am a letter free to roam the pages upon which it is being penned, that story to which your signature and yours alone appends? Who writes each word there and then? A, you, B, me, C, nature, D, None of the above? Our time is enriched with bust loads of storytellers, great conjurers, great spinners of particles of truth, particles brushed loose from the nothingness of our universe, particles flaked free from the constant bombardments of untethered imagining, karmic particles fleshed into being by the sutras of our joyous entanglements, great whisperers, great utterers of our secret spells. Storytellers bust into our time from timelessness. Great storytellers whose mouths are full of life's barley and hops and yeast gargled up from the bowels of calamity, cured and spewed through the sparse of monstrous teeth. We tap them. My cup runneth over with their finest brews. Drink up, they say, and behold the sparkles, a shining speck of the universe revealed to no one else. Drink up, Show us what you feel. Great storytellers, so many. But who is the teller of your story? The story of that necessary letter. Is it a story so poorly written, it's best not be messed with, rather tossed and started anew? Then do it. Now's the time to begin again. Your story. It is a story nurtured in your nightmares, nestled in your nature. It's a story no one else can see, no one else can reveal, no one else can write, no one else can tell, and yet you'll find in it mine and yours inextricably intertwined. But tell your story. You cannot tell mine. Well, not well enough. We have great storytellers in our time. Let me name a favorite few inevitably encountered along the journey. J.K. Rowling, Maya Angelou, Beyonce, Stephen Hawkins, T.D. Jakes, Johnny Depp, Martha Argerich, Martin Scorsese, Spike Lee, Picasso, Martin Luther King Jr., 
And the list goes on. It is not a lonely road, just one missing many worthy stories. No one sees the whole. The seer of each piece, each portion, each speck is necessary. Maybe the monster hides in your blot of darkness. Maybe there hangs the key. Maybe there waits the child. It's the spot only you can see. So how do the great ones do it? How do they conjure, whisper, spin, and utter so well the story of their spot that it causes us to tremble or to laugh or to leap forward and smile? What's their secret? What's their process? What is yours? Like my mom always used to um, read stories for my brother and me when we were uh, about to go to sleep and like was like a good night story, you know. And um, it was just the way she was telling it to us. Like yeah. She was imitating the different characters in the story. She was making listening to the story like really being in 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 the story in the middle of the story and what what was happen, happening there. So um, it was like the the story was was called Iselin und der kleine Drache. Um, it's like it, it's about a little little dragon who experiences the world and gets to know the world. So and he experienced a lot of funny things and it was it was really really nice to listen to those stories every night and. Kind of finishing the day off with a, with a really nice story. Un circo siempre corazón. A great big thank you to the gentlemen who shared their transformative childhood incidences during the first segment of this episode. They are David from Israel, David from Spain, Misha from Germany, and Kent from the U.S. who just returned from a tour to China. Joined in song two is Gaston from Argentina. So here's the question. Is your truth nurturing your nature? Or is it fueling a nightmare? Take a deep breath. I'm about to share with you a special story. It is a story you'll recognize, a story retold in one of the three books we travel with on the journey. It is from the SBL series, and it is called It's a Sound Bite Life. Bite is spelled B-Y-T-E. It's a Sound Bite Life. You can get it from Amazon or Barnes & Noble, amongst other notable places. It's a sound bite life. That's the title of the book. Uh, the title of the story is Luxurious Soup. 
I invite you to do as I encourage clients, customers, patrons, and friends to do on hearing this story. A, recognize what may appear to be obvious and glean what you will from it. And B, don't stop there. Step a layer or two or three or four deeper, seven layers if you can. Take each in. Take them all in. If you're an artist, say, I encourage you to let the story marinate. Allow your creative juices to flow freely. If you recognize yourself more as a spiritual being done with the fleshy things of this world, then open your doors and windows and let its light pour in. Don't fall asleep at the sight of shadows. If you're one you know, whose life, say, is framed by dogmas, that's your truth, a certain set of principles by which you are controlled or directed or which you perceive yourself to be virtuously led by, then you know truth is truth. So lay your dogmas down at the altar for these precious moments, then look up above this empty sepulchre, as it were. Lift your head high and cast your eyes towards the horizon. Then breathe. One day, Brother Nancy had come a long way through the jungle. He was tired and hungry and happened upon the edge of a village. There was a river there. The women had just done their day's washing by that river, and they were tired and hungry too. I could make the best tasting, most nutritious soup out of stones, he said to the women. Soup out of stones? They laughed. <laughs> the best kind of soup out of stones. Utterly ridiculous. Nonsense. You think we stupid? These women responded in a chorus, branding Brer Nancy an idle bracket. No one on God's good earth could make such a thing as soup out of stones and have it be nutritious and good tasting. It's crap. That's crap. That's crap. And Brer Nancy smiled. Quite acquainted with human nature, he had heard his grandfather say, God gave humankind curiosity. The devil gave humankind doubting. Ever since that confusion, I have lived hilariously well. <laughs> well, the women were still laughing. You think it crap? He said. Okay. Bring me a pot and some stones. One of the women dashed off to her home to fetch a big pot. The others gathered stones, saying, Let's help this hairy braggart confirm himself a fool. Tisant so full of mouth. You see, stones were plentiful in this village. Daily these women had scrubbed their husbands' clothes with these stones, and if there was ever a community that knew how to make the most of the least of anything, it was the women of this village. They were good, 
and they knew stones were not ever going to be good for eating, no matter how much stones are cooked, no matter how much stones are crushed. Now the woman had returned with her pot, and the other women with their lot of stones, and they watched Vera Nancy how keenly he examined the pot. Bring me sticks, he said. I need a fire to make my stone soup the best tasting, most nutritious soup of stones you have ever seen. Another woman spirited off to fetch those sticks. Let's get a laugh at this he creature's stupidity. Well, Nancy organized himself a comfortable spot. And upon it he sat and began to hum. And the women fixed their eyes on every little thing he did, just in case. Yes, just in case. The fire sticks arrived, and the women watched how well Nancy made his fire. They noted how he poured the water into the pot. They noted how he whistled as he set the pot half-filled with water atop the fire and how he selected stones from the lot. They listened to him, how he talked to himself, reminding himself of the precise way he needed to wash each stone. A little water here, a little water there, rub, 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 wipe, wipe, wipe. They watched how carefully he placed each cleansed stone into the pot of boiling water. Set them one by one into the pot like they were potatoes. And no one, just in case, wanted to miss any part of how Vera Nancy was going about creating this best-tasting, most nutritious soup. And how he was making it out of stones, the most ordinary kind, stones picked by these very village women. They didn't want to miss anything, just in case, and because stones were plentiful in this village. And stones are good for scrubbing clothes and for sharpening things and for building roads, but stones are just not made for eating, no matter how much one boils them or crushes them. And these women knew that very well. But Baron Nancy suddenly looked up. Bring me a spoon, he said. These stones need a little stirring. And the woman dashed off to her kitchen, and that quickly was back with her best pot spoon. And the women watched ever so closely as Baron Nancy stirred and stirred and stirred that boiling pot of stones. They watched how he scooped up tantalizing drops of boiling water and blew on it and tasted it. Oh, so good. Ooh, it's so good. You know, this soup would be ever so perfect if only I had just a pinch of salt. One of the women sprinted off to fetch Baron Nancy some salt. And yes, she brought him her best kitchen salt. And so excited she was, this woman that knows herself around the pot, she tossed her salt into the boiling pot. <gasps> Baron Nancy exclaimed, You should have let me do that. But that's all right. Not to worry. 
I can tell you of tossed in the perfect amount. You have a woman's touch, don't you? And then Nancy stirred and stirred. Then he dipped. Then he tasted. Ooh, Mimi, Mamma Mia. So very good. Thank you, thank you, thank you, ma'am. You have just got the perfect touch, and you knew if I had just this many chunks of celery, this would be bar none. The best soup I ever had. One of the women, remembering she owned the best chunks of celery, and that she had already chopped them for dinner so that she could be quick with her meal after her day's washing, off to her kitchen and wasting no time returned and she dropped those chunks of celery into the boiling pot brother nancy stirred and stirred then he dipped then he tasted my god this is so good this is so so can you tell this is real good this has got to be a soup like no one else has ever made or tasted. And oh, what a soup this would be if only, if only I had a few chunks of meat. Gosh, a few chunks of meat could do it just right. And the butcher's wife was off. Just as quickly she returned and tossed her finest cuts of dinner meat right into the boiling pot. Oh, you're so sweet, Bear Nancy said. Bear Nancy stirred and stirred. Then he dipped. Then he tasted. Yes, yes, yes. I'm so outdoing myself today. This soup hits the spot. Oh, it's absolutely luxurious. Would you believe the only thing this perfect soup is crying out for is... Well, in this manner, as the story is told, each woman of that little village by and by fetched her finest ingredient she had set aside for the evening's dinner. Each woman added her finest ingredient to Baron Nancy's boiling pot. And Baron Nancy stirred and stirred, and he dipped and he tasted. Each woman noted every word Baron Nancy said, and every little thing he did. They listened to his remarkable expressions of excitement as he cooked before their very eyes in their very pot, full of their very stones, and as he tasted spoonful after spoonful of his extraordinary soup. They saw the glitter in his eyes and how his tummy grew as he sat right in their very midst, working the pot, enjoying the pot. Then suddenly, they heard him say, Oh, I'm outdoing myself today. And whistling, he stirred and dipped and tasted and stirred and dipped and tasted. And fully satisfied with it, he arose and said, That's it. I am done. And bidding the women goodbye, he tipped his hat and bowed and said, 
Thank you very kindly, ladies. That indeed was the best tasting, most nutritious stone soup I ever had. I outdid myself today. Then he burped and said, I told you I can do it. Cheerio. The women were so stunned by the little fella, they stood there waving until he was gone back into the jungle. Let's have some soup, one woman said. Hurriedly, the women gathered around the pot to dip a taste bare Nancy luxurious soup, and they looked into the pot, and their eyes bugged out. Stones? They could hardly trust their own eyes. There were only stones in the pot. Each woman, in turn, just to be sure, took the spoon and tried to stir the pot. For sure that pot was full of stones, the very stones they had fetched, the very stones they saw that braggart clean and put into their very pot, stones good enough for scrubbing clothes and sharpening things and building roads, stones that would never be good for eating, no matter how much they are cooked or crushed. Where is this luxurious soup? I'm going to kill that son of a... Where did that bastard go? Back into the jungle. Let's go after him. I'm too old for this, the oldest woman of the village said. I'm too old and tired. She lifted her basket of clothes to her head. And you all are tired, too, to go into the jungle to look for what you'll never find. It's time to go home. And so the other women lifted their baskets, too, and set them upon their heads and went home. But not the youngest woman. Red with rage, she ran into the jungle and searched. And having not found Vera Nancy, she kicked the stones all night long, for she did not know what she would tell her husband when he came home, for her husband was usually a mean and angry man when his food was not cooked. But the old woman went to bed laughing. <laughs> she pulled her blanket over her head and closed her eyes and laughed and laughed. <laughs> I can't make up my mind what to think, she said, laughing more and more. I tell you, no tricks, no living. I learned so many lessons today. <laughs> that Baron Nancy is something else, I tell you. I should say thank you, shouldn't I? Thank you, Baron Nancy, thank you. Just that moment, the old woman heard a creak at her door. Is that you, Pappy? You expecting somebody else? Sometimes that would really be nice. Don't give me mouth, woman. Where's my dinner? I'm really hungry and too tired for chit-chat. Good, she said. Me too. And she laughed. She slept good that night.
See you next week. Es war einmal vor langer, langer Zeit. <lacht> <lacht>